We welcome back Scott N. Paul. He's president of the Alliance for American Manufacturing, the AAM. They're a partnership established by some of America's leading manufacturers and the United Steelworkers Union. And for the past five years, Mr. Paul and AAM have worked to make American manufacturing a top-of-mind issue for voters and our national leaders through effective advocacy, innovative research, and a savvy PR strategy. More than a pleasure to have back on the program Scott Paul. Hey, Scott. How you doing? Uh, belated MLK Day, and uh, welcome to the program again. Leslie, great to be with you. Happy Martin Luther King Jr. Day, day after as well. <laughs> well, tonight we have a, a biggie. Um, we have the president uh, giving the State of the Union address, and it's already out there what he's going to talk about, but of course a lot of people are saying what he is not going to talk about. Um, so let's talk about what you feel the president needs to address. Uh, he has in the past, and I'm wondering if tonight he's going to emphasize enough manufacturing, uh, the auto sector, infrastructure, and things like that. Is the tiny uh, you know, forecasting that you guys are getting there at AAM uh, showing that the president is going to speak to those? I mean, yes, we have improvement but like we've talked about before, we can do much better, especially in the manufacturing sector. Yeah, Leslie, it's a good question. And I, I, if, if, your, if your listeners have as vivid a memory of the State of the Union address in the past as I do, then I'm a little bit worried because people shouldn't be focusing that much attention on it. It's, it's one day a year, but I listen to it closely. And as you know, it's kind of like valuable real estate for policy. Because there's, you know, it might be a 45-minute or an hour speech. You can only fit so much stuff into it. So, if you if you get some core issues into it, it it's a big deal, uh, both for the for the issues that you're working on, the people who you are working for, and in our case, factory workers. So, in the past, you know, the president has even gone so far as to put manufacturing front and center in his State of the Union addresses. In fact, on two occasions, very much the the primary topic. Of, of the speech and, and, and uh, having a Made in America comeback uh, and building a bru- blueprint for a new economy with manufacturing at the center of that, uh, and, and even last year uh, talking about a, a lot of the proposals that he would like to see with regard to innovation and training uh, to help boost manufacturing. So, so this year, and we've already seen a bit of a preview because he's been out on the road, um, in, in Michigan uh, he talked about the, uh, the comeback of the auto sector um, and how it's doing well thanks to, to the auto rescue uh, that, 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 that he uh, boldly put into place. And it was very controversial, as, as you remember, but uh, I think it's also fair to say that um, it really saved uh, Chrysler, saved GM, saved not only those companies, uh, but, the, but the tens of thousands of jobs at those companies. And then when you extend it out to the manufacturing supply chain and all the jobs that depend on those companies, uh, you, and, and, and the indirect benefits of that, you get, you get, you get something approaching a million jobs saved. And I, I firmly and, and truly uh, believe that. Um, but I guess the, the, you know, my, my fundamental question is that you know, what's holding manufacturing back now is, is not the, the, the auto economy. Um, it, it's, it's not a skilled workforce. It's not even innovation. We've got a lot of stuff off the ground that's doing great. It, it's really got to do with trade and our trade deficit and the fact that we have a lot of imports. We don't have enough exports. Um, and I, I think that instead of saying some things that um, would be uh, would res- 
resonate more than more with me uh, and others kind of who represent the the factory worker community um, who have seen a lot of tough times because of trade that he may look to get some common agreement with Republicans on some trade deals um, that, that that may set some of our concerns aside so I'll be I'll be watching and listening very closely for what specifically uh, the president's going to be talking about with regard to, to manufacturing from an international trade perspective. And, and you know, Scott, as we all do, that the State of the Union is any president, whether it's a Republican or a Democrat's, uh, time to be a cheerleader, almost like a rally before a football game. And I say that because, I mean, you, you know, the president has says it's roaring back, referring to the economy. I mean, we've added 786,000 uh, jo- uh, manufacturing jobs since 2010. But we, as we constantly talk about, have a long way to go. The rest of the private sector actually has recovered its jobs. But in manufacturing, manufacturing is only a third of the way back, correct? I mean, there was a loss of 2.3 million million manufacturing jobs in uh, the recession. Uh, Can the president speak to that without, you know, being a downer and speak to, hey, you know, this is great, but we can't ignore manufacturing and talk about how the nation has led the world in, in the past and that we must again. And then, you know, outline ways that that is achievable. Yeah, that's right, Leslie. And so, you know, even if uh, you know everybody doesn't have a have a have a career in manufacturing or construction, one thing that I think everybody understands is that those are those are middle class jobs that uh, that men and women who don't necessarily have a four year college degree can get some training, go out there and have a real honest to goodness career where they can save money, buy a house, buy a car, you know, the American dream. And, and, and manufacturing, construction, both provide that. And so the, I think the challenge is, and some of this happened just before the president entered office, so I'm not, believe me, I'm not putting it on him, but so we lost 2.3 million jobs, as you mentioned, during right. the recession in manufacturing. We've only gotten a third of those back. Um, and so that, to me, is not a resurgence. I mean, that's progress. I, I view that as progress. I think that that's, that that's better than where we have been in the past. But it's by no means what you would call resurgence, you know, thinking of like how American manufacturing was in our preeminence and our dominance in the 50s, the 60s, even most of the 70s as well. I mean, that's not kind of where we are right now. And I think we have to have to have, to have an honest conversation about that and also what's, what's holding us back. Because I do think that we can recover all those jobs if we have the right policy. And it's just going to see, you know, where the president's going to lead us on this and, and if we can get uh, Republicans in Congress to, to, to agree as well. So the people fully understand with regard to these jobs specifically in manufacturing, when people say that, you know, job loss in, in this particular area, uh, you know, sometimes it's because factories closed, jobs are dissolved, it's gone, you know, bada bing, bada boom. Then there are times where there's restructuring. And there are certain jobs that are gone. Company remains, but one person will do the job of two or three others. And then, of course, there are jobs shipped overseas. Uh, you know, what is the majority of the reason in manufacturing uh, for the job loss? I know the recession, but what happened to those jobs so that people fully understand? Yeah, absolutely. And so I think the, the most acute cause of the manufacturing job loss that began, say, in 2007 
what was definitely the, 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 the downturn, the recession. And so, you know, people just weren't buying things. And so factories weren't making goods. And so workers weren't making those goods. And so they were laid off. Now, now we've seen a lot of that demand recover. And that's part of the reason why the manufacturing jobs have, have come up. And we've added uh, over 700,000 since, uh, since 2010. But the, the other principal cause is, is certainly international trade. And one thing that hasn't improved is is our is our balance of trade the the amount that we're exporting that is sending to other countries versus the amount that's coming in to the United States from other countries especially stuff that used to be made here and so when you when you calculate that in uh, it shows us that uh, you know manufacturing is getting back into a very dangerous hole that we saw even develop before the last recession and then finally and you hear a lot of economists said this and I'm glad that you mentioned it Leslie is that well could it be that robots and technology and automation right. Um, and, and productivity are causing all the because you just simply need fewer people to do the same amount of work. Now, this is not a new phenomenon. This has been around since the advent of the industrial age, and so we've always dealt with automation, productivity, robotics, and and what is what we have found that over the course of the different decades, include, including the 70s, the 80s, the 90s, was that you know your rate of productivity, so the the amount of workers that you needed to produce the the you know one one widget, you know, roughly equated to the amount of workers that was retiring anyway, or attrition, or, or entering another career. So you really didn't have to worry about it that much. Um, and, and the difference came from other aspects of the equation. So how much of the pie that you had, which is, which is international trade, how much economic growth that you had, which was how big is the pie. And so those are the biggest factors. How big is the pie, how much of the pie that you have, which is all about international trade and economic growth. Um, and so the, the robots, the automation, the productivity, do they cause some job loss? Absolutely they do. Generally, that's been offset by by people leaving the workforce as well. Um, so you haven't had a massive amount of layoffs due to that. But, but, um, but, but And I still think it's trade. Um, so if anybody says that, oh, it's the robots that are taking the jobs, that's not, not entirely true. In fact, not even mostly true. Uh, the president obviously has to or should touch upon many people say, and you had just talked about trade, the trade deficit and currency manipulation. Do you think that some of the reason that people uh, tune out, which is they don't fully understand or want to hear number crunching and trade deficit and currency manipulation are a bit of that? They sure are, and I look. I wouldn't want to have to sit through a seminar on currency manipulation, <laughs> me either, <laughs> or, or international trade statistics. I think if anybody went to college, was like, oh, I got it. You know, that was not a course that you look forward to, uh, for the most part. But you don't need to do that to understand it, because it's fundamentally about fairness and about fair play. And if another country is gaming the rules to benefit their producers, um, and, and it's what we call artificial. So that is that it's not an honest-to-goodness, like, yeah, we're better at making this than you are, okay? so And that's what currency manipulation is. It's like the, the, the bank in that country changes their exchange rate to make their exports look more attractive. So that's not, that's not efficient. It's not – I mean, even free trade economists like Paul Krugman will say – Look, that's not the road to fairness or prosperity. So you got to you got to deal with that to to 
make sure that we don't, you know, inflate our, our trade deficit. And, and at the end of the day, what the trade deficit means is that the jobs that could have been here making that stuff for our own market are instead somewhere else, whether it's in, in Mexico or China uh, or Malaysia or anywhere else around the world. And, and that's not the same thing as saying trade is, is bad, because trade is good, especially um, if, if it's done on a real kind of market basis, like who's better at making this, not, be, not, not about who's better at exploiting the workers, who's better at exploiting the environment, who's better at gaming the system, who's better at manipulating their currency. And so I, I do think that the president, instead of saying we just need more free trade classes, um, I, I think or, or need more free trade agreements, uh, needs to say uh, we, we need better trade enforcement, and we need, need to make sure that we have more opportunities for our workers to make products that are going to be shipped abroad, and in fact, more opportunities to ship our own uh, own goods here, so that at stores like Walmart and, and Kmart and Target, that instead of finding rows of import after import, that you find some made-in-America options as well when you're going shopping. We're going to take a break, absolutely, and uh, we need to talk more about that with Scott Paul, president of the Alliance for American Manufacturing. Scott and Paul is our guest, president of the Alliance for American Manufacturing. We're talking with him, and we're talking with you. Pick up the phone and join us, 888-6LESLIE, 888-653-7543 is the number. And we also want to share uh, your tweets at Leslie Marshall to tweet us there. Uh, Scott, let's talk about the auto sector. I mean, you touched upon uh, that and you touched upon the rescue and you feel the president is right to claim credit for that. Uh, You also talked about the TPP negotiating strategy that's putting those jobs at risk. Can you speak a little bit more specifically about that strategy? Because one thing you said today and that you've said in the past is there's nothing wrong with trade. It's when you have a bad trade deal (laughs) that makes the trade not such a good idea. Uh, So so let's let's talk about that, because I think a lot of people think, oh, trade, that's a good thing. But it really isn't uh, when we have a um, a deficit, as we do of uh, what we are exporting versus what we are importing from some of these countries we're doing these trade deals with. Yeah, it, I think it's a good point. I'll, I'll just try to break it down by looking at, you know, two, you know, cars, one made in Japan and one in, uh, uh, one in uh, say, Michigan. So it, it used to be, Leslie, that, say, 10, 15 years ago, um, you know, the, the primary cost difference was driven by health care costs in the United States. So that the car companies provided health care to the retirees and to, the, to, to their workers, um, and more than any other cost, that was like the differential. And so, say, if, if, if Chrysler, Ford, or GM were putting in like you know the cost of health care out of out of every car was say was say two or three thousand bucks, which is actually pretty accurate um, that 's not a cost that the Japanese companies necessarily had had to bear in Japan uh, and so the, instead of putting in uh, that money they could get they could offer price discounts or they could pack in more features to to, to their car and sell it for the same price and so that gave the Japanese makers a, an advantage and look that was kind of a public policy issue it was also things that were collectively bargained and, and rightfully so I, I think that during the course of the auto rescue a lot of that got got uh, got dealt with and because of a variety of factors including energy costs and, and, and decreasing health care costs that 
that got leveled out. So let's fast forward to right now. The biggest difference between the cost of a car that's made in Japan and made in, in Detroit is basically thanks to the currency manipulation that the Japanese bank does. And so if And I know a lot of people don't think a lot of people don't think that when you buy a product overseas that currency manipulation comes into play. I think a lot of people think, oh, that has something to do with the stock market. I don't pay you know, play the market, I don't have to worry about that, but not true. It does come into uh, our lives as consumers. You got it. And so if you're looking at that, say, a $25,000 car now, um, and, and both GM and, uh, you know, a Honda are selling it, and the, the, the Honda car made in Japan, you know, th- that Japanese car company can basically profit, pocket about $4,000 in more profits than GM can from that car. And so ultimately that's money that they can pour back into the R&D and, and provide incentives. And again, this is not because of some comparative advantage. It's because of a policy of the Bank of Japan. And if you believe in fair play and if you really believe in free trade, you got to put a stop to that. And there's been no indication that the Obama administration is willing to do that, even though a majority of the Senate and the House asked them to do that. So quick deal, not a good deal. We're going to take a quick break. That's our smallest segment in the hour. Uh, don't go away. Better yet, join us. 888-6LESLIE. 888-653-7543 is the number. Tweet us. Follow me on Twitter at Leslie Marshall. Follow Scott at Scott Paul AAM. And the website is AmericanManufacturing.org. Hey there, America. How you doing? Happy Tuesday. Welcome back after the long weekend. We welcome back Scott and Paul, president of the Alliance for American Manufacturing, the AAM. Follow him on Twitter at Scott Paul AAM and the website for American Manufacturing Manufacturing is AmericanManufacturing.org. Scott, thank you for holding a welcome back. There are proposals or manufacturing related the proposals that the president has. And you know, some of them people don't realize do connect to jobs or connect to jobs in certain areas like manufacturing. For example, free community college. It's a great way for kids to learn a skill, a skill that they could learn, uh, use, excuse me, after learning it in a free community college education in the field of manufacturing. That's exactly right, Leslie. And and I think the best way to describe something like the community college proposal or some of the innovation proposals is that they're probably invisible to people, right? Because, uh, you know, in a lot of ways, you, you know, healthcare is a very vigorous debate. It's been well debated, probably over debated. Um, and it's there and it really in, in some way affects all Americans. Something like community college is harder to to, to, to wrap your head around the idea of free community college. It's, it's really a, a disruptor in the educational system, but it could have profound consequences when you think of the following. You know, most students, when they are in high school, think that their future does involve a four-year college degree, and so, so they go into that. A whole bunch uh, end up dropping out, um, and, and even more don't get degrees, and so they've racked up student debt, and they've gone down a path that is not getting them the income they want or maybe even the career that they want. Um, another path, and I think it's becoming more appreciated, but I think it still faces a bias, really, is technical school or community college or, or, or a, you know, a, a skills and training program after high school. And with a, with a program like that, you can develop the skills that you need, um, uh, get, get basic math, reading, um, 
uh, uh, problem-solving skills, uh, and, and whatever technical skills it is, whether it's dealing with welding or uh, basic electrical engineering, uh, whatever you might need for, the, for, that, for, that, for that manufacturing job. Uh, and, and these jobs are once again in demand and, and can, be, can be had uh, by, uh, by younger people who want to enter, enter the career. And, and you can, after a couple of years, you can be earning an income that is well beyond what you could ever get at McDonald's or at Walmart, you know, jobs that you can take right away that require not much skills and training, but it's not a career path for most people. And so, uh, so it's going to require a different mindset. And I'm going to encourage uh, the, the Congress to, to, to act on this, for the administration to continue to pursue it. We're going to think of ways that we can be helpful because we think the more kids get into technical college, College, the more they're going to see manufacturing as a, as a viable career option, uh, and that's going to benefit the overall American economy because those are good jobs. You know, I have to tell you, I saw on Facebook a few weeks ago, Scott, um, they showed a guy and he was like drilling something. You know, he's doing like a blue collar, you know, like, you know, welding or some, some type of manufacturing job. And, and, and it says, um, this is such and such. He makes this much an hour. And then it said, um, I went to college for seven years, and this is what I'm doing, making. And they show him, like, flipping burgers at, you know, McDonald's or Burger King or some fast food, uh, you know, restaurant. And even though it was uh, meant to be funny, I know, though, although I went to college, a lot of guys that went to uh, trade schools uh, when I was uh, getting out of school, which community colleges have, you know, parts of them have morphed into, they were out and working. And, you know, when I got out of school after four years, I had – Huge debt with loans that I had to pay back, and they'd been making four years of money, and some of them already had enough to, you know, buy a house or a down, put a down payment on something. Yeah, I, I want to share a, a similar experience. So I was I was in college, but I was working on a political campaign back in my hometown in in, in rural Indiana. Um, and I knocked on the door, uh, and it turned out to be one of my high school classmates. And keep in mind, I think we were both maybe 20, 21 years old. Uh, and I said, you know, I'm here for this political candidate. And he, I asked him how he was doing. He said, oh, I got a job down at the uh, at the bedspring factory that was in our town. And I make it a good wage, and I own this home, and I have a car. <laughs> I'm able to, to save. And, and my jaw dropped because I was like, I can't even imagine any of those things right now. And you're like, I, I've I, got I, a suit. On and I'm working for a politician. <laughs> <laughs> that, that's exactly. It was a great. Could you buy me a cup of coffee? <laughs> yeah, yeah, was, uh, yeah. It was, and, and it really opened my eyes as to what the potential was for these jobs, which some people call kind of middle skill jobs. But manufacturing is the perfect example of that. And and, and I, occasionally, I, I occasionally check in with this friend. He's doing great. He's working in another factory, but and he's made a career out of it. But but he got a boost, and he's he's living a great life. Um, um, and achieving the American dream, and and never you know was was like I want to work with my mind and my hands, and and a four year degree is not necessarily for me. And, and I will say he made the right call, and a lot of people can do the same thing uh, and and get into uh, and and get into a vocation that is richly rewarding because you can actually see the results at the end of the day. Right? And not ju- and not just that, Scott. Unlike me, I don't know about you, and not prying, but. Um, you know, a lot of them are working uh, with a great union backing them. And you have a great union backing you. Not only do you have, you know, a good pay, somebody to stand in the gap for you and fight for you, you have health care. And, oh, my God, a pension, a retirement plan. Know what that is? I certainly don't. <laughs> 
my retirement plan is I got to make enough. I, I, I hope that my house will sell for a lot someday. <laughs> That's right. So t- two other quick examples. I mean, one is that the, the data, which is manufacturing jobs, even the new jobs that have been created since the end of the Great Recession, where we've seen a lot of downward pressure on wages, pay 38% better than other new jobs yep. that are being created in the private sector. Uh, and, and the second is like one of our stakeholders in the steelmaking industry has a program where you can get your two years of community college, you pass the skills test. After two years, you can be making, and it's a union job, you can be making 90 thousand dollars with overtime uh, at one of their factories and so you think about that that's two years be of quiet some of my crew's leaving right now <laughs> um and, and speaking of community college although you know most of them i'm not going to say all i'm sure there are exceptions uh, are two-year colleges and they have associate degrees it's still a degree it may not be a bachelor's it is a degree and you're learning a skill um another thing that we forget is the united states is really cutting edge when it comes to high-tech technology and jobs in Silicon Valley. But we need to stay on the edge of high-tech manufacturing. And to have this free community college, we are helping to build with greater minds and these uh, think tanks within these community colleges, innovation hubs that can help the United States stay on the cutting edge of high-tech manufacturing. That's exactly right, because if you want to turn those great ideas into jobs um, for, for a lot of people, you get you got to make the product here, assuming that it's what we call hardware as opposed to like software or an app or, or whatever. Um, but but that's that's one of the missing links. So you, you combine the education uh, with the the innovation, and, and this is something where the president has done a very good job of trying to generate what we call these manufacturing innovation hubs around particular types of manufacturing, like 3D printing, which is kind of out of this world, or advanced lightweight metals, uh, which is a lab in Detroit, or what we call digital manufacturing design, uh, which is coming online in Chicago, or or a different kind of semiconductor technology in Raleigh, North Carolina, uh, or carbon fiber materials in Tennessee. But, But each of these institutes has not only the, you know, the the, the brains to it, you know, the, the, the PhDs and the scientists who are working on the research, right. they, they have a training component to make right. sure that, that those production jobs are going to be in the United States. Now, we need to invest in infrastructure. We've talked about this constantly, and this is a mantra that Americans need to get uh, through to them, but so do politicians. Republicans are in the majority now in uh, both chambers of Congress. Uh, What are Republicans planning to do on investing in infrastructure to rebuild America since they're interested in helping the economy and creating jobs? And how are they willing to change the tax code to prevent further outsourcing? That's a good question. So first on infrastructure, we, we've been basically uh, punting the, the ball for the last couple of years by not passing what we call like a, a multi-year, really robust uh, investment in, our, in rebuilding our roads and our bridges. And we saw just another example in Cincinnati of a terrible you know, partial collapse on a bridge that, yep. that resulted in fatalities. We have an aging infrastructure. We've got to deal with that. And, and you've got to pay for it. And this is the issue. You got, we pay through it for the gas tax, but the gas tax hasn't been adjusted for, for basically a generation, even though we have more roads, more bridges, and materials are more expensive. So you can't keep up with it. you gotta, you got to raise the revenue, too. Uh, and no one likes paying taxes, but look, we're getting a big dividend 
from the the, the, the reduction in, in gas prices that we've seen lately, uh, I think it's the right time to do a little bit of a gas tax increase that will help make sure that we have safer roads, safer bridges, more efficient transportation. I, I haven't seen there, – there's been a couple of courageous Republicans who have st- stood up and said, I, I'd be willing to do this. Senator Corker from Tennessee, Senator Hatch uh, from, from Oregon, uh, and, and a couple of others. But we need – you know, we need a mass of them to say we're for this, and then we've got to deal with the House of, the House of Representatives, too. And I, you know, there's, a de- there's another deadline coming up because the highway funding um, stops basically at the end of May. And so they have to make a decision by the end of the May, do we want to go big or do we want to punt the ball down the field? We're saying we go big. We think there's bipartisan support for it. This is something, Leslie, that, that labor and business agree on it. Uh, and so I think that that is uh, critically important. That's an area for possible compromise. We're going to take a break, and when we come back, we're going to talk about a lot more stuff with our guest and uh, your friend, a friend of the program here, Scott Paul. We're back with Scott Paul, president of the Alliance for American Manufacturing. Check out the website, AmericanManufacturing.org, and follow him on Twitter, at Scott Paul, A-A-M. Scott, before we move on to a couple of other issues, I do want to share, because we have a lot of tweets out there. Um, Rods and Guitars tweets regarding the free community college, quote, it's not free. The president needs to realize America is about earning our way, not taking our way. Uh, And uh, Bishop says, have we finally admitted the public education system is broken? Um, K through 12 education just doesn't cut it anymore. Uh, Pied says, in my honest opinion, at least a third of college degrees are a joke. People could learn and have skills in half that time and save uh, money. And uh, Mike says, if you don't pay for it, you don't appreciate it. Plus, there's no mechanism to recoup cost for dropouts. And everybody seems to say, you know, why why should I be paying? And another says, tech training, yes, liberal studies, no, pay your own way. Uh, any response to some of those tweets? Yeah, I, look, I think that there are probably a lot of questions that have to be answered about how it would be administered. And I do agree that it ought to focus on vocations that – are going to lead to a pathway to good jobs. I feel very strongly about that perspective. I will say this. For a modest investment, and community colleges, believe me, a far much more reasonable proposition for folks than a four-year college degree in terms of the finances, the value that taxpayers would get out of that back when a student successfully completes it, that includes not only classes, but also technical hands-on training uh, in terms of the tax revenues they're going to be pumping back into the economy and the industry that they're going to be in that's going to return to the economy as well. Um, I, I, I am not willing to say that this will pay for itself within the first couple of years, but certainly over the course of generation, it will. Um, CCNY, Community College in New York, uh, a lot of recent immigrants, their kids w- went, to, went to it back in the 30s and the 40s, free education. It gave so much back to New York City that's one of the best investments they ever made. Um, and I think the same thing applies true nationally. The Alliance for American Manufacturing um, has a, a blog, and I thought I found this very, very interesting. Instead of you and I just talking about, you know, what would people in the manufacturing sector say, you guys actually talk about uh, people in the manufacturing sector, and they speaking out on the State of the Union. 
Um, I don't uh, want to take the time to read all. I want people to go to the website, AmericanManufacturing.org and forward slash blog, or just AmericanManufacturing.org and uh, click on the uh, blog. Uh, Let's talk about some. Um, And I can mention their names because they're posted. Matt Snodgrass um, talks about how a lot of his company is overseas, specifically in Europe and Asia. And he said, cool, I'm afraid they're going to take our business here and move it over there. This guy's worried not necessarily about him, but about the next generation, about what happens for his kids or the employees he leaves behind once he leaves the job. That's right. And Matt raises a point that I think the millions of people who work in manufacturing feel every day is that that work can be done from anywhere in the world. It can be done from West Virginia. It can be done from China. And so I know every day manufacturing workers work hard to make sure that their their place is going to be productive and profitable, efficient, make a good product. But there are some things that are out of their control. One of those is public policy. And so it, it, it seems completely unfair that, that a factory worker working hard in West Virginia is, may lose his job because a company shifts its production to China because the Chinese government has this skewed set of incentives uh, that have led to that. And so those are the types of battles that we're fighting uh, in D.C. because Matt can work hard. Even the, the company plant manager can work hard. They can do their best. They can make a better product than anybody else. It may still go to China because of some of these incentives on trade policy, tax policy, currency. That's why it's important that we address them, Leslie. David Ramirez also talks about securing his uh, future. Um, This guy is enrolled in the Steelworker for the Future program, which we've talked about with uh, reps from the United Steelworkers. And uh, just just amazing to me what this guy does. He wakes up at 4 o'clock in the morning every day to get himself going. He then brings his kids to daycare, goes to work, and then after he goes into the classroom – and he's worried about his future. Um, you know, he has the knowledge. Will there be the work? That's right. And, and David is an adult learner. I mean, he's he's almost 40 years old and he has a family, which is your 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 typical community college student. It's not someone coming right out of high school. It's actually a lot of uh, adult learners who want to go back in uh, and develop the skills for a career. And he's in a great program. This is the program I referenced before where you complete it, you get a certificate, they guarantee you're going to get a job at the factory. And with overtime after two years, you could be making 90000 bucks. I'm asking all your technicians to shut their ears right now so they're, they're not <laughs> abandoning you. But, but it is a, it's a fabulous thing. And, and because in manufacturing generally the workforce is, is, is aging because there wasn't a lot of hiring from 1998 until 2009. So that older generation of workers, some of them are getting towards retirement age, and, and there, there will be openings. So the question is how many? Uh, and I'd like to see a lot more of them, which is why we need good policy. I'd like to have more success stories like I'm sure Dave's is going to be. Well, there's a woman here, Melinda Allen, that she and her husband, uh, they went from a dual income, and now they are both in, um, uh, she's unemployed and her husband's uh, part-time. Yet you have a guy like Kyle Warzala who says, everything's looking good. He said, quote, I got into welding at an early age. It was very beneficial to me. I was able to see that it was cool and something I could make money doing. Now when I walk into work, it's not like I'm working because I enjoy my job. Now, I'm very grateful my crew says that, and I don't, I don't prompt them with hot pokers or anything to do it. Um, but how many, people, how many people want to get up and go to work not just because it's a paycheck, but because it's something they enjoy doing, plus they get a paycheck? 
It's good. It's good. You know, this is one of the mythologies of manufacturing. I mean, it used to be that the point of view is, oh, that looks dirty, that looks dangerous, that looks like it's a dead end and you could lose your job. And, and maybe that applied to some factories some places uh, 10 years ago. But today you go in and, look, factories vary from big to small and, and the quality, just like any hotel you're going to find around the country. So I'm not going to guarantee that they're all, you know, uh, that they're all spiffy clean. But, but it's a far different profession than it was. And it is tangible. At the end of the day, you can see something that you've made rather than like sitting in an office and wondering if the, if the software that you're selling is going to make the world a better place or whatever. You know, it's like you, you have a tangible physical thing that you've done. Um, and that gives, and, and this is, you know, industrial psychologists and others have said this, that gives you an incredible sense of job satisfaction that is hard to replicate uh, unless basically you're, you're working for yourself. Um, and so it's a great setting to, 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 to allow that kind of thing to blossom. And I just hope we have many, many more opportunities like that because it's been so long, Leslie, since there's been hope for the manufacturing sector. So Absolutely. Long. And I'm sorry we didn't have time to talk about the slower growth in California than everywhere else in the nation, but I'm sure we'll do that the next time you're on. Scott, have a great rest of the week as always. Love having you on, buddy. Uh, Scott Paul, president of the Alliance for American Manufacturing.